0: Hey, did you know 21 out of 25 of the world's deadliest snakes call Australia home? Welcome to Australia, a giant death trap. We're stranded and
1: alone out here in the middle of nowhere. We'll climb up that ridge. We see something up there, we'll drive towards it. Be back in an hour.
0: The trailer for Outback, a new thriller written, directed, and produced by first time feature filmmaker Mike Green. Hello, and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eales. In this episode, I'm joined by Green to discuss the making of Outback. Outback is a survival nightmare based on the true story of an American couple, Wade and Lisa, who become stranded on their way to Uluru. Think cage dive or open water on land. It's truly terrifying stuff. And a special screening of the film will be held in Sydney on November 2 before a national release date is announced. In this podcast, Mike uh, tells us towards the end that uh, Bonsai Films will be distributing out back in Australia. So that's exciting news. Anyway, Enjoy. He does have
1: a conscience in some way, but he's kind of like a, uh, just a, a madman who can out drink, out, laugh, out out fun everyone all the time. Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself.
0: The day that we were going out to shoot the open water scenes, we were told that there were some dead whale carcasses that were bringing in real tiger sharks and great white sharks, and they'd been sighted in the area. We were told not to go in the water. But I could just see instantly that how talented Rhiannon was, and there was just, it really blew me away. There is still a bit of a a boys' club out there, for sure. And also with Dee Wallace, she gave me great input on the script for this to make her have a very pro-choice stance throughout the film. And the simple fact is, the movie, the whole thing occurs because a right-wing guy blows up a clinic. Very organically, somehow, the name The Comet Kids popped up and we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is? What, who were The Comet Kids?
1: We just thought it was very, very important to uh, start writing more roles for women and uh, women not just, as I said, as girlfriends, mothers and people in love, but women who are
0: their own people as we are. Mike Green, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Hey, Matt, a pleasure to be here and, um, you know, Props to you with all your amazing work with Cinema Australia. Thank you. Um, Mike, uh, Outback is an incredibly tense, nail-biting and uh, sometimes gory thriller. And uh, it had me on the edge of my seat and I'm sure that that will be the case for most viewers. Um, as a first-time feature filmmaker, you've managed to pull off an ambitious project of very high quality. So I wanted to start by saying uh, congratulations to you and the entire team for such a terrific and enjoyable film.
1: Well, like, firstly, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it worked for you. It, like, on one hand, I do feel like it's been very much designed. I kind of that type of filmmaker that kind of carefully orchestrates what's happening uh, with the audience and I guess in the picture. So yeah, good. I'm glad it worked for you.
0: Um, the film premiered at Monster Fest recently. How was that experience? Yeah, it was great. We haven't seen it with
1: a, like an audience, like a real audience. Yeah, and I perched myself up the back and was kind of carefully watching everyone's uh, body language and you know looking for the dreaded phone to be raised, someone checking their email <laughs> or something. But kind of didn't see any of that. And there's the laughter, kind of early on, and then as the dread builds and they become more isolated, you just feel the audience tightening up. And yeah. Some, Really great moments. There's a couple of sequences in the film and scenes. I guess you know, like the snake at the end, and everyone's just holding their breath. And yeah, it was really good, really pleasing.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned the snake uh, straight away because I've got a question about that later on. So we'll get to that. But um, so sitting with an audience, uh, you know, one of the first screenings, what's the feeling like for you? What's going through your mind? Oh,
1: like I'm almost a one man band in the sense that I wrote with my writing partner, directed it, and produced it. So like, you know, even as the basics logistics of getting people tickets at the start of the uh, screening was uh, running around and just kind of hecticness. So to finally sit down and kind of catch your breath and sit there with the audience is really pleasing, like a little nerve wracking, but I've Come to accept, like it is what it is, and I've let go of it somewhat. And um, it's really was over to the audience to see how they responded. And we're like, it was really pleasing. We had an amazing sound team, too. And I could tell the sound was really good early on, so that was um, uh, pleasing because you're never really sure what you're going to get, having made a bunch of shorts and screened them at numerous festivals. Uh, and then the picture, too, is really good projection. And it was a really fantastic cinema down at. Um, Cinema Nova in Melbourne and the Monster Fest team put on a, a great show. So yeah, a really good environment, really supportive crowd and uh, really pleasing.
0: Oh, fantastic. Um, I was looking, speaking at Monster Fest, I was looking at your uh, Monster Fest bio and, and I was surprised to learn that you're involved in hospitality or you have been involved in hospitality. Um, so I'm intrigued. What's, what's that about?
1: Yeah, like my past life was working in restaurants and owning restaurants and bars and whatnot. And um, I always thought I wanted to be a producer and I thought, like getting venues up designing them and bringing them to an audience shall we say was always good practice uh, as a producer because I knew I wanted to end up in film and then as I slowly got into the filmmaking uh, industry looking back at it it was almost directory in like that you're world building and creating a venue because they're very much themed restaurants or bars Mm. and um, yeah it's just interesting hindsight looking back but I know, like, when I talk about making films or kind of creating something for an audience, it is very much Mm audience-driven. So, and I think looking back on hospitality, you know, there's that hospitality kind of uh, point of view or vibe that you're creating something for an audience to share and to consume, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really important to me. And um, I love cooking and that that background in hospitality uh, shows. And when I'm kind of in the edit suite or in the sound, uh, the mixed theatre, it's very much wanting to create uh, a feeling within the audience and have them physically moved and uh, feel the experience. You know, that might be leaning forward and kind of in a tense moment or sitting back um, kind of enjoying the spectre of a wide shot or something like that. But I always speak about um, physically moving an audience and um, I can look at parallels with hospitality industry and kind of creating an environment for, you know, punters, shall we say.
0: Wow. Um, I imagine the catering on set's phenomenal then.
1: (laughs) That is important. (laughs) Yeah, so is the 18-year-old Scotch uh, at my time.
0: (laughs) Um, So take us back then. Where, Where did your filmmaking journey begin?
1: Uh, like I'm from Adelaide originally and live up now in Sydney, so I made a couple of shorts uh, on my own and tried to get into film school VCA after uh, some years back and kind of got rejected and had a few shorts under my belt and I thought I'd just kind of plough on and make more shorts versus reapplying to the film schools, so I'm somewhat self-taught and um, moved up to Sydney and made a couple of shorts up here and then started working on feature scripts mm. and um, started to work on you know longer form scripts.
0: Um, I think there's a lesson in there for uh, some of our listeners who might be thinking about uh, getting into filmmaking that just go out and do it. Don't rely on the schools and don't rely on the funding and stuff like that. Just go out and actually do it.
1: Yeah, I think there's many ways in, and as long as you're improving and creating stuff, uh, you know, I think film school can be cheaper if you're spending money on short films by yourself. I know that's (laughs) my case. Uh, so I'm like, I tried to get into film school, but just didn't work that year.
0: And now look at what you've done. Um, so a lot of people are going to want to know about uh, your time working as uh, director James uh, Vanderbilt's assistant on Truth, uh, which starred Kate Blanchett and Robert Redford. Um, can you tell us? Uh, can you talk us through your involvement there and, and what you took away from that experience?
1: Yeah, I was like I was, I was kind of new to the industry, and I was working my way through commercials. And there was a production manager that was on commercials that also did the big films, and she knew of me and knew of my desire to, you know, get her, I guess amongst some film uh, experience, but also in particular some like American film uh, studio system type film. Not that Truth's the studio system, but all the filmmakers that were on it really work in the studio system. So I knew Jamie was going to be directing, and it was his debut film. So Jamie wrote Zodiac, you know, a bunch of Spider-Man films. He's just, you know, Hollywood royalty in regards to screenwriting. So I thought that's a pretty good in, and I did my best to position myself to get onto the film and then specifically as the director's assistant. And it somewhat, I guess, took shape and worked. And a lot of that's just hard work and, you know, going above and beyond and making yourself useful. So I ended up getting uh, the assistant role and hung out with Jamie and just looked after him and just, you know, listened in and watched as much as possible to his process. It was not like he had directing down pat because it was his first film, but watching him juggle story and, you know, the the odd little rewrite on set and just... um, Riffing with the actors was invaluable. You've got Kate Blanchett, Robert Redford, Dennis Quaid, Elizabeth Moss, Topher Grace, all these high-caliber actors. And, um, yeah, there's many facets to filmmaking and kind of just running the set and watching the personalities uh, bubble away is one of the skills, one of the many skills you need to have and Jamie was great at that.
0: Was there one thing in particular that you took away from that experience and applied to Outback?
1: I know Jamie's one bit of advice that I've kind of zeroed in in on is kind of his phrase essentially of um, whatever it takes – So you can kind of use that in many different ways. And Outback's probably a good um, example of whatever it takes, whether that's (laughs) shooting 17 pages on a day or making it on a credit card. It's like, whatever it takes, get it done.
0: (laughs) So talk us about making it on a credit card. This is literally, you've made this on your credit card out of your your own money?
1: Yeah, like to be clear... Um, made on a credit card to get it in the can mm. but by the end of the process it's going to be a larger budget than that mm. and that's um, through some investors coming on and then like some people working uh, for like a an incurred or postponed kind of fee payment yeah. so I originally had a script and it was going to be like a two two and a half million dollar project and we had cast attached and down the path of getting um, some funding bodies lined up and financiers lined up. And Nicole Kidman announced Angel of Mine, which on the surface sounded very similar to the project I wanted to make. And it really took the steam from underneath us and pulled the the rug from underneath us. And I had to come up with a plan B because I had my wife going back to work from maternity leave and we had a three month old baby, and I somewhat looked at what resources I had, whether it be money or time or crew, or, you know, access to people, and reverse engineered a project to be able to, for us to shoot in. I th- we shot it in 10 days and wrote and prepped, I guess, in two or three months. So it was very fast
0: wow.
1: uh, time to get it um, up and in the can, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Outback is based on a true story, but trying to find information about it online isn't easy. Um, is this a true story in the same way that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a true story, or, or does it stick to, to facts here?
1: And maybe very <laughs> similar to
0: Fargo. But right, right, right.
1: <laughs> it's based on a lot of true stories yeah. of people yeah. kind of getting caught in tricky situations in deserts.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell our listeners um, uh, what what uh, what this story is about.
1: It's a young American couple that come to Australia to visit our beautiful beaches. And the first beach they go to, they get stung by jellyfish and they change uh, make change plans and head off uh, into Uluru as rock, as they call it. And through a series of events, they end up stranded in the back. So it's probably as much as I need to say. Mm. It plays on a lot of international audiences and Australian audiences, Fears of Australia and the critters and the um, vastness of the Outback. Mm. And it just seemed bright for the picking. And no one's really made a film called Outback, which is surprising.
0: Well, that's Uh, interesting that you say that because uh, here's a little uh, fact for you. Um, uh, Did you know that uh, Wake in Fright was uh, released as Outback outside of Australia?
1: No, no, it didn't look, uh, no, and nor has the research. Or title reports, or any kind of legals, come up with that. In the yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, I,
0: I, I found that last night. I looked at uh, Wake in Fright online, and then I'd noticed that it said next to it uh, released as Outback outside of Australia, and I thought, oh, there you go.
1: No, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> um, uh, as you mentioned uh, just before, um, uh, that the film was shot in ten days. Um, you've managed to, to pull off this quality piece of filmmaking here and, and it's beautifully shot. Was it always going to be a 10-day shoot from the from the very beginning?
1: No, it was going to be 11 days. Oh. <laughs> and the drive out to Broken Hill where we ended up shooting the, the majority of the film took so long that we worked out we'd need an extra day to drive back from Broken Hill to Sydney. So when we got out there, I had to compress the shoot by a day, which doesn't sound like much normally but really it was 10% or even more of the shoot, given that we'd already shot for three days on the way out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the first night out there in our, uh, you know, just settling into the location and working out logistically how we're tackling what we're going to be shooting, it dawned on us we had to shoot 17 pages the next day. And it was like, oh, this is a bit of a surprise. And, uh, going to be a mountain to climb but yeah everyone kind of knuckled down and got on with it and we did it the next day it was quite remarkable the actors knew their lines really um well so that helped and a handheld handheld style of coverage really helps too
0: um um what what were some of the uh, physical challenges of shooting out there
1: well, no phone support. We're um, away, uh, you know, an hour away from any shops or logistical kind of supplies. Um,
0: what about like internet connection wet- and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, no, not very limited when we got back to the base. But um, yeah, not so much. Which kind of almost was a bonus in some ways that people were so focused on what we were doing. Mm that they weren't checking their phones or needing to kind of, um, you know, check in too much.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry, you were you were going to say something. Were you saying something about rain? Uh, well, we were, the rain would have really
1: screwed us over because, you know, we wanted it to look like a desert. So fortunately, the weather was really on our side. The flies are horrendous out there. <laughs> uh, and my American uh, riding partner came over from the States and he just couldn't believe how many flies there were. <laughs> and just the arid terrain and how bleak it was. It got caught up very much in the moment. Did you get him a hat with the corks hanging off it? <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> he would have taken it though.
0: <laughs> um, there's, there are a lot of white knuckle scenes uh, you know, featuring snakes and scorpions and and other creepy, creepy crawlies. Um, Ed, did you have any close encounters of your own while shooting?
1: A lot of goats on the
0: way up. they oh. kind of near misses driving at 110.
1: Mm. Uh but no, not so much. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, it was pretty... And, you know, that's the kind of thing with the outback. It is vast and it's dangerous and whatnot, but really it's, you know, also beautiful and spectacular and serene and calming. There's a, very many nice things about it which we experienced.
0: You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. So, a- am I correct that there's a bit of symbolism here when it comes to some of the, um, you know, some of the the snakes in particular?
1: I, yeah. Like again, without saying too much, like the message of the film is pretty much don't take tomorrow for granted, mm. and it's something that's really close to my heart. Especially in this filmmaking caper, you know it is so hard and so tough that really you've got to work out if you love it. And if you do, you know, push on. But if you don't, you you know, you probably should find what you do love in life because it's so fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, I, I, yeah, there is, and it is.
0: Um, so Taylor and Lauren are both very believable here, I mean they never seem to miss a beat as, uh, as two people stranded in the desert. Um, can you tell us about working with these two and, and getting these great performances out of them? Because they're both terrific here.
1: Yeah, Lauren and Taylor were great to work with. Uh, originally I cast Lauren first and it, through like the audition process I was getting her to put a few self tapes down. And she was talking about some relationships and things that were going on in her life. And it just uh, intrigued me. And I, I saw that she got emotional over these, uh, I guess, issues and um, explored them more with her. And with her blessing, I built some of them into the story because we made it so fast. I wanted a, a way in for the actors to really embody these characters as quickly as possible. So leaning on some of Lauren's true life um, events really helped that and fast-tracked some of the writing process too because mm. it's just there and um, you know low-hanging fruit easy to pick and what about taylor taylor uh originally once i had lauren cast we had um i paired her up with a couple of actors along the way but Taylor came along and what I did with the actors is took them down to Coogee Beach and essentially put them through a boot camp on the beach and I would <laughs> run them ragged and then kind of go through some scenes and some emotional kind of moments and see how they'd perform under this duress and I brought Tim Nagel, our DP, along and he shot it and we were able to cut together, you know, almost like a little proof of concept and it was fast-tracking the audition process for... For whoever was going to play against Lauren, and it was also a, an intense chemistry test, and um, served its purpose really well. I'm not sure where I got the idea from, but it, it made a lot of sense at the time.
0: Yeah, it's a great idea. So tell us about some of the some of the things that you put them through uh, on the beach. What, well, what, was, like what?
1: It was physical running up and back in the soft sand until right. they were exhausted. And seeing how far they were <laughs> willing to go for this part, I'm not sure <laughs> if any actor in, uh, wants to hear this. But, uh, you know, w- w- with all due respect to the actors and the acting process, it was re- it was going to be so physical and I knew when we were out there that it would be a situation where uh, it would be hard for someone to say, no, I'm not going to do that. So I really wanted to find out where the boundaries were with them. And... Um, See what was underneath the bonnet, I guess. See what was underneath in the, the persona that they were projecting.
0: Wow, wow. Um, sometimes uh, Austral- the, uh, you know, an Australian actor trying to pull off an, an American accent can be quite grinding, but um, these, two, uh, these two pull it off quite well. Was, were, were there any chal- challenges there getting them the American accent right?
1: Lauren was really good at it because she does uh, like hosts some parties, kids' parties, and I think Elsa or a couple of American oh, Disney characters right. are in her wheelhouse, yeah. and so she's really good at it, and it's very natural for her. <laughs> Taylor took a bit of work; he's mm-hmm. a good country boy, mm-hmm. and um, he's got quite a thick Aussie accent. Uh, <laughs> so, but we did work with a couple of dialect coaches and uh, Lauren and Taylor would have a bunch of notes and exercises to um, rehearse with and practice with and strengthen certain parts of their vocal cords or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but they were really dedicated, and um, Charmian, uh, one of the dialect coaches, was amazing, and we also had Nick Kurnow, who's uh, amazing too. And we did a bit of looping in uh, ADR in post, mm-hmm. but pretty much they were, they were really good and on point.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I didn't mention it in my review, but I think uh, Lucy Wolfman's makeup deserves some serious praise here and, and a bit of credit uh, because it's terrific stuff. Can you tell us a bit about working with Lucy uh, for some of the gorier moments in the film, uh, you know, as well as her makeup of the, of, uh, the, the effects of the sun?
1: Yeah, no, Lucy's amazing. She's been around for a while and she's really experienced makeup artist, special effects makeup artist, prosthetics artist. So we're really lucky to have her. She's also, you know, barrel of laughs. She did extensive research and she'd kind of pull me up, you know, whether it's dehydration or different wounds and different wounds to the type of scorpion or jellyfish that might give you the, the sting or whatever it is and uh, you know was so specific and wonderfully painful about it so big props to her and we're very lucky to have her on board and the work speaks for itself and it does get a lot of attention and get singled out so we couldn't be happier with working with Luce and her, having her on board.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! Because sometimes when you're restricted by budget, these things can kind of be pushed to the side and, and be a, be an afterthought. But uh, this this makeup, uh, you know, and the effects of this film really stood out. So uh, congratulations to Lucy there; she's done a really good job.
1: Yeah, and like you know, when she's out there working, it's not like she's going into a caravan or some pristine environment to do her work. <laughs> she could be on the side of the road or you know hunkered down in a Dusty sand pit, or something like that. She's really talented and just easy to work with, which is the types of people you like to have on set. Um,
0: there, there are so many Australian films set in the Outback, uh, you know, Wake in Fright being one of them. We mentioned that earlier. Um, did you reference any uh, particular films going into this? Oh, my
1: original idea was uh, open water, you know that? Yes, yes. yes. So it was like open water in the outback. Uh, It was a two-hander, essentially a survival thriller. (laughs) That's
0: funny. That's interesting. Sorry, just because I mentioned Cave Dive in the review as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you you know, but Cave Dive was retitled Open Water Part 3 in America. So that's interesting that you said that. Yeah, sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, no, I've got to get up with my retitling
0: by the sounds (laughs) of it.
1: Um, And also touching the void, that documentary about the two that go up and climb. I think the second tallest peak uh, in a, in the world. Yeah. Um, the, the documentary. Are you familiar with that one? Yes.
0: Yes. Terrific. Fantastic. Yeah.
1: Again, amazing sound mm. and really bleak environment and situation. So they were the real two touchstones that I lent on. Um, I don't think they were really Aussie films. Like, the Outback is what it is, and it was always going to be set there. So maybe the colour palette, we had a look at some, uh, some films. But really, it was such a fast prep that I didn't really go into that too much. Mm-hmm.
0: Jeez, Broken Hill is like a, uh, an unofficial um, uh, studio, isn't it, in Australia? I mean, we, we talk about not having enough studios. Broken Hill is pretty much a studio in itself. Yeah, exactly. And it's <laughs> so
1: embracing of filmmaking and uh, the art of filmmaking and just the community spirit to get behind um, films. And, you know, whether it's little art department requests or catering requests, everyone's so supportive. It, it really is a special place.
0: Oh, fantastic. Um, this this is a this, this is a question. I don't I don't know how uh you know how you'll react to this question, but are you anticipating reactions from people who have been in similar experiences to the one that Lisa and Wade experience here? I mean, you know, you could be opening yourself up to some backlash or or some praise. What kind of reactions are you anticipating? Oh, we already have. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not
1: sure what you mean about
0: backlash. No, but well, uh, you know, whether it's uh depicting the truth or you know, um, yeah.
1: Uh, like already, like very early on, when we were um, writing the script and showing uh, people the original idea, and then you know shooting it and then into post, a lot of the crew already talk about certain situations that they almost ran out of petrol in this really dire situation, or they are off even in the Blue Mountains and got lost, and just the panic that sets in let alone going to these kind of really bleak situations, mm. uh, which the film explores. But, yeah, no, very much. Um, I'm not sure about the backlash, but mm. I'm ready for it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is, is there a particular moment throughout the making of Outback that you're proud of the most, something that you look back on and think, yeah, we did really well there?
1: We The the, the death scene in the film, uh, which I won't go into too much detail about the actual scene, But the actors in prep and like shooting up to that point, I hadn't rehearsed or done a read through with them. And they stuck really closely to what was on the script on the page. And they'd been working the scene and they were really excited to show me. And so when we finally get the chance for them to perform it and present it, it's literally time to shoot. And I think it's like day seven of the 10-day shoot. The sun's going down, so we've got an hour window to shoot it in. And we'll never get the chance to reshoot it just with the way the schedule was and the amount of uh, material we had to shoot in the last three days. And um, they blocked it out. And it was really moving and intense. But it just didn't work for the film that we'd shot up until then and the way I was seeing it. So I know that that was a, a really intense hour. Um, workshopping that scene and getting the beats that I felt the scene needed and essentially asking the actors to kind of drop what they had and um, work with me and um, find a new scene. And it was all hands on deck because the sun was going down and it wasn't stopping for us.
0: Oh, wow, wow. Um, there's a common complaint from Australia's filmmaking community that Australian filmmakers don't watch and support other Australian filmmakers. Do you watch many Australian films?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say it's relative to the, all the other material I watch. I don't think I watch probably go out of my way to watch more. Mm. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted about that argument. It's, you know... I don't know if you should go out of your way to support it. It should, you know, the, the film or material should speak for itself and yes. be good enough to demand your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to ask someone to give up time in their day to just support our film because we need the support, I don't know if that's fair to, to, to people. So my way of thinking is make the best possible film. Uh, you know, it, it has to be better than good. It has to be amazing mm-hmm. and try and... Draw your audience instead of you know asking them to support you they want to go there
0: Mm -hmm. yes that's a that's a fantastic response well done (laughs) um yeah it's that's uh, you're the first person who i've asked that question who has answered that way so yeah thanks for that um it's like
1: funding bodies too people you know people trying to get funds for their film
0: it's like would you
1: part with part of your house or your savings to give to a filmmaker that who's not made a film before to Mm -hmm. You know on, on the back of a, a hundred page piece of the script, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's, it's hard. I kind of view it from the, the person giving their time or funds or whatever it might be. It's like you need to make the, um, the case compelling.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, so have you seen any Australian films recently that have stood out for you?
1: Uh, the killing ground like a killing ground I know um, jumps out. That was powerful and amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what else have I seen? Yeah, you know, it's hard to think. Even like people ask me, "Oh, what jobs have you been on like I can't think of what I've just done. It's like, what's ahead? Uh, Killing Ground. It really
0: was a terrific film, though. Jeez, uh, yeah, talk about harrowing. <laughs> um, you saw that at Monster Fest? Yeah, it was probably a
1: year and a half ago, or a couple of years ago now. But yeah, yeah. um, yeah, something will come to me soon.
0: So, can we talk about the distribution of Outback yet? In what year? What, what's um, happening? Well, uh, can you tell us uh, who's distributing it uh, and, and where people can see it? Uh, in that regard, um,
1: Jonathan Page, Bonsai Films, is going to do a theatrical release uh, 2020 at Fantastic. some stage in the year. yes. We do have some exciting news bubbling away in the background. We've been picked up by a US studio and they're going to be releasing us next year uh, in a big way. And that's really exciting. It's just about to go through, so I can't say too much more than that. But it's interesting too, the kind of distribution side of things and the contracts and the different clauses in there. So they've got a clause that they have to be the first territory to be released before any other territory, which is why I don't have a release date for um, Australia because I'm not sure of the release date for the states and Canada and whatnot. Um, so I'm still working the Australian release date out based on that.
0: So that's a good enough reason for people in Sydney to go and see this film uh, when it uh, when it hits Sydney on... Is November 2nd?
1: Mm, Saturday night, November 2nd, 9pm at Events Cinema on George Street. Yeah, like back to people having their own reason to come see it. I don't want to sell it to them, but yeah, it'd be great to come along. We've got amazing sound escape in the film and it looks amazing and you know it sounds like the performances stack up so we're really excited to show it and i know the response has been really positive so
0: Fantastic. yeah uh, mike congratulations on such a terrific film and uh, it's been great chatting with you uh thank you for joining the cinema australia podcast
1: thanks man appreciate all your support and um yeah amazing work with cinema australia congrats to you
0: Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Cinema Australia.